Welcome to another episode of Junior Achievement of South Florida's Recipe for Success. Just as there are no two recipes that contain the exact same ingredients or measurements, there are no two success stories exactly the same. Recipe for Success features entrepreneurs, visionary leaders, and innovators of all ages who will share the ingredients that make them successful. Here's your host, Lori Salarulo, President and CEO of Junior Achievement of South Florida. We are live on the set of Recipe for Success out here at JA World Heisinger Center at the Lillian S. Wells Pavilion. Uh, and I am so glad to be here today. I hope that you enjoyed last week's episode uh, featuring Steve Noodleberg talking a lot about when you give back, you get back, uh, and so many other things. So I hope that there was a lot of valuable information in there for you. So today's guest, if you've been watching some of our posts this week, uh, was a surprise. Uh, and I knew that if I didn't write a few things down, I might forget, because I'm a little nervous about today, um, and really excited to bring this guest to you. So today's guest um, has been a mentor of mine throughout my life. She is my greatest role model, always been there for me, no matter what, up, down, anything that's happening, always there uh, and always ready to guide me and help me through it. One of my biggest cheerleaders, uh, if not my biggest, and um, has absolutely been the person who has taught me right from wrong and helped me to develop the important values uh, that I hope and I think that I carry with me today. And I'm so proud uh, of her. She has had such a long and impressive career um, as a mom, as a woman, and as an educator. And so please help me welcome my mom, Carmen Russo. And I knew I would get choked up, so hi, Mom. Hi, hi, Dora. <laughs> thank you for being here. Well, here, thank let me you for having you me. I'm just delighted and thrilled. Got it. Yes, it's very exciting. Yes, so I don't think my mom ever thought she would see me hosting a uh, talk show or a video show, but here we are. I know. And you know, I, I couldn't, as I was thinking about guests, and, and we're booked out through January and February, as I was thinking about people who have so much valuable experience and knowledge that they can bring to our viewers, um, you are on the top of my list. Um, and oh, so you've you. done that for me, and so I wanted to bring that to everyone else. Oh, um, and I'm sorry, but I know I'm gonna get teary-eyed <laughs> in this whole show today, so bear with me. Um, I, I wanted to start a little bit, and a uh, story that you've told me several times about Grandpa, um, and you, you said, I remember you saying that when you went to him and told him that you wanted to go to college, right, that wasn't quite what he thought you should do. Yes. So things were a little different then, and so I wanted you to share yes. that um, yes. story with oh, our okay. viewers. Well, um, it, I think it was really very commonplace in those days, you know, the girls went to become secretaries or nurses, and um, my mom said that I always wanted to be a teacher. I've been talking about it since I was, you know, like nine or 10 years old. Um, when I said I wanted to go to college to be a teacher, he said, you don't need to go to college. You're gonna get married, you're gonna have a baby. It's just a waste of time. Just go to work. And um, he really sort of dug in his heels and then I dug in mine. <laughs> That's the Spanish side of the family, just so everybody knows. And so I said, no. I said, you can't become a teacher unless you go to college. Dad, so I'm on my way. Um, I would have loved to have gone to some lovely campus, but I went to uh, Hunter College in the middle of Manhattan, and it was the best thing that I ever did. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's where she met my dad. So we'll talk a little bit about that yes. later on. Um, and so, so that whole mentality, right? You know, that, that many years ago that women should become secretaries or, or stay home and, and not go to work. Right. Uh, do you think that's changed for today, you know, for oh. the better for women? How oh, have you yes. seen the world Absolute. change? Oh, absolutely. All right, thank goodness. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thank goodness. I mean, you know, there's still pockets of resistance here and there, but I think that um, we're probably in the best place ever as far as women uh, not only being in the workforce, but being able to break their own little glass ceilings. Um, you see, you know, when I became a principal, I, there were 250 of us approximately, and there were only six women. Uh, and today, I would say one-third of that workforce, if not more, are, are women, yeah. uh, and, uh, and rightfully so. So I'm delighted with the improvement. Yeah. You know, talking about glass ceilings, um, I, just, I wanted to confirm this, and so I just asked Mom before the show. Um, you were only the second woman superintendent of schools, mm -hmm. um, but the first Hispanic Correct. Uh, woman superintendent. Correct. And yeah. so one of the things that I thought about is... Um, you know, a, a long, successful career like yours doesn't happen overnight. No. Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe just share a little for our viewers about kind of where you started um, and just, you know, maybe a couple of highlights along the way of the okay. journey. Um, well, it was really quite simple. We were a typical Hispanic family. I went to seven schools from kindergarten to, the, to 12th grade. We moved. We followed the jobs because money was an issue. Uh, and I finally, I went to uh, Wall Street when I graduated with a business and education combination. So I went to Wall Street for a year and then said, I've got to get back to the classroom. So I taught, I was assistant principal of department chair, do they call them these days, uh, principal of Morris High School in the South Bronx. And that was the beginning of being in tough places. Uh, so South Bronx, Fort Apache area, as people know it. Um, then uh, superintendent of the entire borough, and then um, the chief executive officer of all New York City high schools for all the boroughs. Uh, and then I came wow. down here to Broward. I followed yes, you. you. I did. wanted to be near you. Uh, and I became the associate superintendent for strategic planning and accountability and did a instruction along the way as well. Um, and that and, was under uh, Petrozello? Petrozello and Dr. Till. And Till. And Till. And then I got a phone call one day, and the uh, next thing I knew, I was off to Baltimore City. People said uh, I didn't get, get it. I was you know, always in these difficult places, but that was my niche, right. you know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I often get called the fixer, mm -hmm. right? I think it, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and so, you know, Taco, you mentioned Morris, right, being right. A really one of your first tough, really, assignments. Yes, yes. Um, was that an experience Oops, that helped shape you? Um, uh, absolutely. Uh, when I got the phone call, just very quickly, I had applied for three other schools, and I got the telephone call from the executive director of high school saying, I have a favor. And I should have known. It was going to be a big favor. He said, I would like you to give up on the other three and go to Mars High School as my appointee to take over the school. Um, and the issue really was, um, it was in the poorest congressional district in the United States. It was a historical landmark building. Colin Powell had graduated from there. The borough president and everybody else was going insane because it was an underachieving school and it was becoming dilapidated and beginning to fall apart. And um, so he said, I need you to turn it around. And that was it. 
So that was the beginning. The uh, I was right? that, and that was the beginning of really uh, some difficult assignments that I really enjoyed. Morris was one of my first loves. I just loved it there. Um, I really think that um, if in education, at least, people like me who are risk takers, people who you know want to turn things around, um, we're needed more in those kinds of areas. So um, even though I had other options, as you could tell from the choices, except for Broward County. Um, which would certainly not fit that exact description, although you know you had, always have pockets here and there. Um, it was really a, a journey of turning things around. Yeah, and I know that you do have a track record, even here in Broward, of turning schools around, yes. right? Yes, yes. So it, fixing things, you know, and I've had a couple of experiences as well with nonprofit organizations, right, very similar. It, there's, I, I think that there are some traits and some ingredients, as mm -hmm. we say here on the, on the set, that contribute to, to allowing someone to be able to do that, right? Okay. So what are maybe some of the traits that you think have contributed to you being able to turn things around? Well, I don't know, Lori, if I would say necessarily traits, but I think there are certain in, you know, things, that, ingredients, all right, that need to be in place for you to be successful. And the first one I would say is you really, if you're in a marriage or a part, you know, relationship, that person really has to support you. That's, if you don't have that, it becomes so intense and the pressure on the relationship is really would be unacceptable. Um, the second thing is um, that when you do this kind of work, it's learn and grow because every situation is totally different, has its challenges, um, and you don't want to become static and you need to keep up with the times. Um, best compliment I ever got from a principal was, um, I never saw anybody who was such a comedian and kept changing themselves. So, you know, you always have to redevelop yourself and stay timely and keep your skills up. I think the, um, the third thing is, um, and I always believe this, you have to act and think and execute at the next highest level. So wherever you are, you need to begin thinking like, the position above you, not because you want the position, because I never, that was not what entered my mind, but it makes you think differently when you do that. Um, so that's very important. And then there's the role of mentors. All right. Um, I've been very fortunate to have men and women mentors throughout my career, different people in different phases. Um, they are talented and inspirational, uh, and I don't think I could have made the journey without them. Yeah, no, really, really important. You know, um, you mentioned um, the support of family and your spouse, and, and of course that was my dad. Right. Um, just such a great example of how a couple can help each other and support each other build Correct. their careers, um, and that's what I right. always saw. So thank you for modeling that. Um, and I feel fortunate to have a relationship like that as well today. So, so I think you gave me something really good to shoot for. Um, the learning and growing, but you also mentioned a little bit about the mentors, um, and, and maybe talk a little bit about that because I know there's probably a million stories of those mentors <laughs> who might have helped along the way. And then also maybe about being a mentor, was that also part of it? Um, because that team, the team, yes. right, was so important. Yeah. Well, I, th I think the story you're probably referring to that people would identify with would be Donald Shalala. All right, and she really wasn't a mentor uh, because she really didn't know it, but she was certainly a very strong role model. And the issue 
really in those days is that for every 10 men in leadership positions, all right, you might find one woman. Uh, and so I really model myself after a lot of men uh, that I watch very, very closely. But I had this marvelous experience where the chancellor wanted to put together a task force for um, the improvement of high schools in New York. And Donna Joella and Mike Champagne, the president of Teachers College, co-chaired. So I spent, and then around that table was the president of the union, the teachers union, which was a woman, uh, uh, the uh, vice president of the supervisors union, which was a man. And so you had this conglomerate of very talented people. And I was the low man on the totem pole because at the last minute somebody said, if we're going to talk about high schools, there should be a principal there. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> so I got a phone call to come and join the task force. But watching their techniques, their style, how, how efficient they were, how they managed the project, because we met for about, I would say, almost a year once a month, uh, and got the report together, the skill set, uh, was just mind-boggling for me. And I was so appreciative that I got a chance to experience that, yeah. you know. And there are a lot of stories like that. Yeah. She's, and she's become a great role model. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Here in our community. Yeah. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the opposite of, of having mentors and role models, mm -hmm. but um, being a mentor and a role right. model. And so when you are running a high school or a large school district, right, right um, you can't do that alone. No. Oh, absolutely not. Um, one of the things that uh, I would really must mention before I go, go off air is that you don't do it alone. And one of the things I was able to do because my uh, superiors empowered me was I was able to change leadership. Uh, positions, uh, not for myself, but for the people around me. So I was able to surround myself with the very best people I could find. Um, and it was a mix, um, you know, Hispanics, African Americans, whites, females, males. It was, I was only looking for one thing, the very best person that I could find. And I did that in all three school systems. Uh, and because you cannot do this work alone. Right. Um, and you learn from one another. So that's truly very, very important. Um, and uh, having the support of your immediate you know, supervisor, which in my case was the superintendents or chancellors, um, and when they, when they give me some wild tasks to do, uh, when I was head of New York City High School, Joe Fernandez came to town from Miami. I do remember one of the tasks you had to do for that. What? They used to have a name for you back then. What? I don't know that I can say it on air, but it was about birth control. Let's oh, just put oh, it that way. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. But we won't well, go into that no, story. We won't go into that story at all, but it was one of the big health issues of the time, right. you know. But uh, he came into town, and um, the, when I got the phone call uh, that he wanted to meet me, he wanted me for a totally different position. And I said to the person who was the messenger, no, thank you. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, in Miami, that, ch that position is responsible for all the principals and supervises principals. And that's what I wanted to do. And in New York, that wasn't the same position. I ha in order to supervise and support and make high schools better in New York City, you had to be the CEO of the new high school division. And so I said no, and I told them why. And then I got a call back. Well, he wants to see you anyway. Come on down. <laughs> so I went to uh, meet him in New York City uh, right before Christmas. And we hit it off very, very well. And then when I got the job, uh, first thing he said to me is, um, you know, in Miami, I started a lot of small high schools, Carmen. I said, yes, you were famous for the small high schools, Chancellor. He said, well, we're going to do it here. So I need you to start 10 immediately. <laughs> 
<laughs> so basically, you created that job for yourself, or you kind of well, the job got hit to create. Yeah, the well, job. the job was there, but the uh, not involved, at the level. Uh, no, it was a, two or three. He had taken the resignations of a few people, uh, and the first job he offered me as deputy chancellor uh, was in the instructional position that had nothing to do with the schools. It was just uh, creating more and more curriculum Correct. and training people. That was not where I felt I was suited. And I didn't, I didn't have a problem saying no. I wanted to be where I thought it was a good fit. Um, and then uh, when they said, why are you saying no, I explained. And so the next thing I know, I was down at this meeting, and the first question out of his mouth was, what would you do with the New York high school, City High Schools if I gave you the position? It was a very interesting conversation. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> So, so I think there's a really good lesson in there for young women, right. or for women of all ages, um, is that sometimes we think when someone offers us a job, right, we, we, do, we have to take it. Right. Um, and you don't. And you don't always and have to. So being selective right. and being strategic. Yes. In getting where you want to go, it's okay. It's okay right. to say no. It's one thing to, to, for someone to say to you, I want you to do a lateral because this is the pathway up and they know you and they know your skill set. It's another for someone to offer you a position for which you really, it's not a right match. Right. For your personal preferences, what your passion is, and my passion was the schools and being with the kids. Um, and if I couldn't do that, I would just want to stay where I was. So my reply was, well, I've only been superintendent of the Bronx for, uh, because that was the position I was in, for 18 months. I have a lot of work to do. I'll stay here and help him from here. <laughs> I said so. I really don't want to be the chancellor for instruction, deputy chancellor for instruction. And um, I guess he respected the fact that, that I you said no. That I said no. I can tell you, as a mom, she never had a problem saying no. <laughs> never, ever. Um, but always, always to things that that should be a no. You talked. Uh, you mentioned briefly um, that after that, uh, you then came down here to South Florida. I know that there's a track record. Part of that was turning failing schools around. Right. Uh, and then you went to Baltimore City Correct. as the CEO superintendent mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, Baltimore City uh, is known as a city uh, very political, yes. right? And, and has, has its share of issues and problems. Correct. Can you talk a little bit about that, the, you know, navigating the politics right. of these types of positions? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because if if I were giving you a list of 10 things that, you know, when we had time for that, one of them clearly would be that you have to know how to finesse the politics. I mean, nobody, there's no city like New York City when it comes to politics, and I worked under a couple of different mayors, and Broward County had its own set of politics, um, but Baltimore City, I will say, was unique because, um, and this varies across the country, in the city of Baltimore, the superintendent of schools sits on the mayor's cabinet. Mm, so if you want to talk about politics, I, I was, right in the mix I was of it. right in the mix. <laughs> and uh, there were 40 people sitting around the table. And it was quite awkward because the state had done a partial takeover of the Baltimore City Schools because of its poor performance. So I had the Secretary of State of Education as one boss, a brand new school board of nine people my, where my real boss is day-to-day -day operation. And I was sitting on the mayor's cabinet with 39 other people, and I was the only person who didn't report to him. Mm. And I didn't have to answer to him. And so I really 
understanding the politics. This was his city. I had moved there for the three years. Um, I was extremely respectful, had the conversation with him that you know there would be times where I could be doing a lot of things he wanted because we all wanted a better school system. If you want to get workforce development, you need to have a good school system. Um, but that my real bosses all right, were the board. And we had, you know, we had that conversation. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that goes, it's yeah. not just in education. I mean, navigating boards and county commissions and city commissions. It's all, all the same. It's all very, very political. In corporate as well. Right. So um, not always an easy yeah. thing. And I think that sometimes can actually be the downfall yeah. sometimes of leaders when they don't understand how to finesse Correct. and navigate. Well, I, I probably one of the, there were two big challenges in, in Baltimore City. I was there three weeks and I realized that the, he had there was a deficit even though when I asked the question at the interview, they said no, they had a reserve. Uh, that deficit ended up being $45 million, and I uh, cool. got permission to get an audit. All right, uh, and then the, the second thing is that there were a lot of different power brokers in town, and one of the, um, the tasks, I would say, one of my goals, was to get some of that Gates money that was going around. At that point, education was the Gates Foundation number one priority. Uh, school systems that were the size of Baltimore, you know, 85 to 100,000, were not getting Gates money. It was the big guys in New York, Chicago, LA. Um, and I started picking up the phone and calling my friends in the philanthropic world. It took 18 months uh, and lots of roundtable discussions with the activists in town and mayor's people and everybody, and we got $20 million. Wow, that's quite an accomplishment. That was an accomplishment. And it's part of the legacy, right? Yes. And we can leave a yes. legacy like that that impacts yes. children. And, and, and um, a lot of that, that money was specifically um, designed to help improve the schools, which was the reason they hired me. Right. I found out later that the reason they hired me, I didn't think I was going to get the job, uh, was because of my track record in New York City as head of high schools. So having a track record, right, developing that track record and the results, mm -hmm. because I think that is that's so important to employers, mm -hmm. right, or boards, right. Yeah, it's all about results at yeah. the end of the day. Absolutely. Right? And uh -huh. it's about relationships. It's about building trust. It's being very, very consistent in your um, execution of your plans, of, you know, delivering. Uh, and as you said, getting those results. If you're inconsistent, you're all over the place, you're hopping all over the place. Um, I was, I will tell you, the Franklin planner that I had went with me everywhere. She still uses And I one. still use it. A paper one, I yes. can't get her to do it on the computer. No, I have, but I, the Franklin planner was not just a paper planner, it right. was a system. And when you were doing long range projects, I mean, it was perfect because of the way it was established and you can move it around. So my technique was, if I wanted something done by June, and it was September or October of the previous year, I would back map everything. And then I would know if I was gonna head into a trouble, all right, resources, you know, uh, staffing, whatever. When you say, can I make it by that de deadline, all right, you better be sure before you announce it to the public. Exactly. <laughs> so the Franklin Planner really came in very handy. <laughs> so, so after that, um, then you came back here down to Florida. Right. Uh, again, and returned to Florida full time. Um, and you reinvented yourself again, yes. Yes. right? Um, and so I think, that is, we're seeing so much more of that, especially with women today, oh, yes. right? Yeah. They take time off to be yeah. moms, they come yeah. back and reinvent yeah. themselves. I mean, I, I know right. I did. So what, what did you do well, after the if I, if I may, before I go into that, mm -hmm. because we are um, 
in Broward County. We didn't say much about that, but I really was recruited because the failing list was coming out for the first time from all the states, and these were the schools that were underperforming. So I had done some of that work in New York, and I specifically was recruited and got that phone call because of that. And when I came down here, I was here three weeks, and the list came out, and there were 25 Broward schools on the list. And Frank Petrozella had a cabinet meeting and said, I got the list today, guys. All right, who's going to volunteer to straighten them out? <laughs> <laughs> And did you was, volunteer or did you get volunteered? <laughs> I got volunteered. <laughs> <laughs> and we had three years and we had a very intensive plan. And he said, Carmen, I guess it's going to be you. You're the rookie, you, you know, by default, it's your job. Um, and I said, well, we need to talk about how we, we structure it because right. I'd done a lot of that work. And um, so he went along with everything I requested. I said, I have three things to request. And the entire cabinet was looking at me like, is she nuts? <laughs> you know, she's telling him in front of I said, we can discuss it later, but there are three important ingredients and um, we'll do it. And we did get them all off. And then about four or five years later, I called somebody down here when I was in Baltimore and I said, how are they doing? And they said, one school slipped and we got, grabbed them real quick and got them back on so all 25 are still off the list. And that's institutional change and that's very, very important. But then, and, and it's difficult, it's right? Very, because very you're difficult. changing a culture right. um, as well. And sometimes, and it's funny, I've heard this, so as I go around town and people who knew you when you were in uh, the Broward County Public Schools, will say, oh yeah, so I, I get mixed uh, feedback, by the way, which that's, that's I, okay. I know that there is about me as well, because that's, I think that's okay. when you are trying to get results and you're trying to change mm -hmm. a culture, there are going to be people who love you, right. um, because they know that this is what's needed to get the results. Correct. And there are going to be people that don't like us, because they don't want to change, no. and they don't want to change the way they're doing it, or, or they don't care about the results. And so I think, as for me, as a, uh, a woman, knowing that it's okay if everybody doesn't like me. Right. At the end of the day, right. it's about getting those results and making a difference. Right. Well, maybe I can tie two things together because you asked me the question, when I retired, I opened my own company, consulting company, and focused on organizational change because that was my thing. Um, and um, I, did a, I did most of my work on the East Coast by choice. I didn't want to be bouncing around to the West Coast. Uh, lots of work in New York State uh, and along the coastline. And then um, uh, I had uh, the opportunity to, uh, to do some work with the principal, that, which I think illustrates your story. Um, I worked, did work for him um, before, and he had an underachieving school in uh, this part of Queens. I got a phone call about a year and a half ago, will you come out of retirement? Uh, I wanted, um, got a new school. And I said, uh, well, you don't need me anymore. You know, you're, you're this really great principal. And he said, no, you don't understand. I was principal of an underachieving school. And you and I worked together for two years and we had all these wonderful things that we did. They just gave me an overachieving achieving A school. Carm, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> you have to get up here. And so we did a retreat because his staff was pushing back. This was a brand new principal taking over from the founding father of the school, who was, which was an A school, but he was put there because they were already beginning to see the cracks. Mm. And he wanted to catch it 
before it became a B, a C, a D, an F, which is what happens. It goes into, school goes into a tailspin, right. and it's hard to stop. Uh, and the teachers and the entire staff were furious yeah. because they, their wonderful A school was being challenged. And my job was to convince him that he was right, and we, they all had to become a family. To get so, that buy-in. Yes. Right? So for two days, we spent it in a retreat, and he got the buy-in. It was great. Yeah, just so. Uh, it was great. So great. Um, you know, so one of the things we do as we talk about this, and as you've been talking, I've been writing down some of your ingredients, mm -hmm. uh, and we read back your recipe for success. And certainly it's not, I'm sure, a complete recipe because with a career as long as yours, um, there's probably, you know, 10 or 20 other things that you could and add to this list. And the stories, I know, go on and on. <laughs> And I'm one of those that can listen to these kinds of stories. My grandfather, right, Grandpa Nick, he would tell us stories about the older days, you know, and, and how during the Depression and all that, and I was just be riveted to the stories. And so I really love keeping history alive. But so many valuable ingredients and so many lessons. So I'm just going to share oh, some of these sure. of course. with our, our viewers. So the first thing I heard when you talked about your dad saying you should not worry about going to become a teacher was somebody who was extremely determined. And you mentioned to me, and you didn't mention it here, that you walked 60 blocks in Manhattan a day to go get that few, the few dollars right. that he would give you right. so that you could yeah. go to college. Yes. He, when, he, when I finally did it, you know, once a week I would have to go down to get, the, you know, in those days 10 or $15 was a lot of money. Right. Uh, and I, by that time I didn't have any money in my pocket, so I walked <laughs> to get the money. Exactly. So very determined. Very determined. Um, risk taking, right? Yeah. Very important to very take important. risks. Yeah. Strategic, but right. to take those risks. Right. Um, become a problem solver. I, and I, it's so interesting because I think people gravitate, right? We talk, what we do here at Junior Achievement, mm -hmm. teaching kids critical thinking, mm -hmm. solving problems makes them so much more valuable as an employee, right? right? And that's what we look for right. as employers, a support system, spouse, family, uh, children, and, and everyone being on the page with you, right. going in the same direction, um, cons constantly learning and growing, Correct. never stop learning. And, and now you continue, I, I watch you all the time, continuing to learn and grow. And I don't know that she's ever really ever going to retire. Um, but keeping current and staying relevant. Absolutely. Not only, as you can it's, see, Especially in the world of technology. I, way, I call her every day, and you know where she is? She's in the beauty parlor. She's getting her nails done. So she's always staying current, and she's always making sure that fashionably she looks great. And so in every way, shape, or form, yeah. staying current. The work is relevant. very important to me. Yeah. I know very that. Current. It's always been uh, very, that way. And I get it now um, and from watching you. Um, act, think, and execute at the next level. Right. I thought this was critical. Sometimes we're so focused on where we are, or this part, right, the highest level of where we want to go, that we miss looking at the next level and what we need to do to get, get there. there. And so I thought that was so such a great point. Um, and not something you ever told me, so I actually learned a new one today. Okay. Mentors, both men and women, um, and surrounding yourself with the best and brightest people, both above and, and below you, uh, being uh, selective. And this was really interesting, too, and I think you taught me that. Uh, I'm sure most people who know me would say she taught me this, that it's okay to say no. Yes. Right? And it's it okay to ask for what you need Correct. or want in order to do the job. Gotcha. So being selective and, and being forthright. 
passion, being passionate about teaching and impacting young people, navigating the politics, right? Critical. So important. There's politics everywhere. everywhere. There's politics everywhere. everywhere. Everything. Even in families, oh. there's politics, right? <laughs> no, not all, but there's politics everywhere. Uh, relationships, building relationships. You talked about the gate uh, grant that you received, and that a lot of that was over 18 months, building those relationships right. within the community, uh, building trust, mm -hmm. uh, very important for a leader. And then strategic and consistent execution. Absolutely. That consistency. Um, so so many good things, and, and I'm so fortunate to have heard most of this and, and so much more than that. And I, I just, I, I'm... Well, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm I've been thrilled emotional. to be here today. I have to give my mom a hug. Um, I love you. I love you too. And I'm very proud of you. Thank you. This wonderful facility. Thank you. You did such a great job. Well, you did a great job, yeah. obviously. Look at me. But so thank you for being here. I couldn't wait for today. Um, I hope that you all enjoyed it. And thank you for the personal privilege of bringing this amazing woman in my life to all of you. Um, and um, and thanks, Mom, for everything. You're welcome, uh, sweetie. I love, I love you. I love you all, too. Hope you keep watching, and let's get cooking. <laughs>